0: The following is sponsored by the Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology, February 24th through the 26th in East Lansing, and April 28th through the 30th in Bryn Mawr. Find information and registration online at alliancenet.org and hear more at the conclusion
1: of this podcast.
2: This is Theology on the Go a brief interview about an eternal truth
3: in terms of the traditional understanding of Reformed presbyterians which i think aligns with the scripture the central most element of worship is the preaching of the word
2: hello and welcome to theology on the go my name is jonathan master i am joined by my friend and co-host james dolezal james how are you Jonathan,
1: I'm doing well. Looking forward to our discussion uh, in this episode.
2: Yes, it's a discussion that couldn't be more important and is always relevant. It's a discussion really about worship. And our guest today is Ryan Speck, who is pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Columbia, Missouri. And he's written a book entitled Trembling Joy, a biblical defense of traditional worship. Ryan, thanks for joining us today.
3: Uh, it's a privilege. Thank you for having me,
2: Ryan. It's uh, it, as I said in the introduction, there couldn't really be a more important topic to discuss than worship. But I wanted to lay some groundwork at the beginning and just get a, a couple of things out of the way because we can't take these things for granted. What what is worship? How would you define worship? And and then if I can add a, a follow up to that because I think it'll again lay the groundwork how. How, do we, how should we order and regulate worship, whatever that is?
3: <laughs> yeah, worship, if you look at the original terms, uh, really refers in general to falling down before the feet of God, even to fall down and kiss the feet of God. When uh, the woman uh, came into the dinner meeting and fell down and washed the Lord's feet with her tears and her hair and kissed his feet, that was the picture of worship really that the scripture uh, reveals to us. And so worship is uh, also captured hopefully in the title from Psalm 211, uh, to come before him with joy and with trembling joy. Um, that, That really is the attitude of worship to bow before him, to give him the honor and glory and make yourself small before him who is to be glorified. So I'd say that's the basic definition of worship. Uh, as far as the liturgy and the order, uh, again, since we believe in the regular principle of worship, it really has to come from the scriptures themselves. It has to be something that you find in the scriptures that arise out of the scriptures. Uh, God knows what he wants. There's nothing that we can invent that he suddenly thinks, oh yeah, that makes sense. That That's, I never thought of that. Uh, God knows what He wants and how He wants to be worshipped. So we try to look in the Scriptures and find exactly how He wants to be worshipped, and form the liturgy or the service in that way.
1: Ryan, I wonder if some readers of your book might be surprised at the emphasis upon order. And your book really is—and I, I say this uh, not in a in a cold and clinical way—but your book is really a a dissection of worship and its various elements and it seems to kind of cut against the the zeitgeist of just sort of go with it or as you feel led that really is subjected to a revealed order or regulation so maybe we could just ask this question before we jump into a few particulars how do we discern the order Uh, is this just something that the elders vote on? Uh, Is this just whatever the prevailing mood is? It just has to be orderly, but the prevailing mood gets to decide the order. Where do we discover the order?
3: Yeah, in the Old Testament, some of the sacrifices um, are given in great detail, and there's a very specific order of how God wants things to be done. And then you come to the New Testament, and Paul speaks to the Corinthian church, for example, and He's very clear about how um, the Lord wants things done decently in order. Uh, Sometimes we say that's the Presbyterian motto. My dad had that on a mug growing up. Do all things decently in order. brood decently in order. That sort of thing. Um, So there is a specific order that God has in view. And uh, it's something that he is pleased with. And so I always tell uh, people, uh, as the psalm says that, the works of god are studied by those who take pleasure in them it takes study to to understand how to please god and he wants us to demonstrate that we really do have pleasure in honoring him by studying diligently to see how we can do so um that's the general answer that the then longer answer is read the book and (laughs) I'll, i'll try to flesh that out more
1: You very early in the book address this issue of um, comfort and should we feel comfortable? In fact, you often find this on church websites. Uh, They might even have a whole paragraph devoted to how comfortable you ought to feel, and they usually emphasize what you don't have to change about yourself uh, in order to feel comfortable there. Uh, I'm going to read a statement from your book. It appears early on, and you write this. Our worship should reveal the unseen reality that our holy God is present. We should therefore expect the discomfort of unbelieving visitors, just as we would expect the discomfort of a rebel in the court of the king. Um, say something about that. The Maybe something about, not, not that worship should be weird, but peculiar. Whatever peculiar but not weird is that maybe causes discomfort. Uh, could
3: you thread that needle for us uh, a little bit? Sure, I guess we are called a peculiar people, which is often a joke as we sing old hymns, that yes, indeed, we we can be peculiar. Uh, The the reality is that it's not even a question, I think, that arises in the Scripture or arises in other, in in any sense, analogous situations. So if you're going to meet with the president or you're going to... um, go to a wedding or whatever it is, it's not the question that arises naturally in your mind. Hmm, what will make me comfortable there? That's just not in your mind at all. That's not a question. Uh, how much more when you go into the presence of the holy God? It's just never a question that arises in the scripture. You know, Isaiah, as he comes before the thrice holy God uh, is not asking, how, how can I get comfortable here? or John in revelation as he falls down before the Lord as dead. It's not a question of uh, his comfort. It's a question of how he can honor the Lord. And so as a people that come into the presence of God, and we really believe we are coming to the presence of God, there is a sense in the community and the assembly that this is something special that we are to come with trembling joy and, and have reverence for God. And when, An unbeliever who cannot see that because he does not have faith senses that there's something different here that's good and it makes him uncomfortable because he doesn't understand what's going on that's that's a good uh, sense for him to have and as paul puts it in corinthians the desire is that he would then fall down before god also and confess his sins that's the ultimate goal of that discomfort it's not discomfort for its own sake but discomfort to
1: lead him to the fear of God. Ryan, uh, after we talk about sort of mood and comfort, you then get into the various elements of worship. And that might seem almost a uh, science lab sounding <laughs> to some people, the elements of worship. But maybe you could say, what do you mean by the elements of worship? And then what are, if you could frame that out for us, what are some of the key elements of worship that really must be there given the order that's been
3: revealed to us by God himself? Sure. Um, The word element really refers simply to the basic building blocks of any worship service, the specific acts of worship that we uh, go through in any service. So uh, the reading of scripture, prayer, singing, preaching of the word, the sacraments, and so forth. So it simply refers to the the essential uh, parts of worship that are actually honoring to God that he commands in the word. Uh, With regard to the elements that really are crucial, uh, certainly in terms of our day and in terms of the things that are important in the modern church, I think uh, music and singing is a very significant element and controversial element. But in terms of the traditional understanding of Reformed Presbyterians, which I think aligns with the scripture, the central most uh, element of worship is the preaching of the word. And I I know, and I I say in the book that uh, whenever a pastor says, Oh, the preaching of the word is most important, I can just hear people say, oh, yeah, yeah, the pastor. That's your part. Yeah, you happen to think that's the most important. but. Hopefully that's not pride, but it's derived from what we believe scripture teaches, which is why, for example, if you have a service of an hour and a half or so, and 45 minutes of that is devoted to sermon or that sort of uh, ratio, uh, it's not illegitimate, it's not wrong, it's actually proper because of the significance of preaching as given in the word of
1: God because of its primacy maybe you could say something briefly to the way in which the other elements which aren't preaching and are really important even vital in our worship how do they relate to the preaching and the heralding of the word of god what kind of what kind of connection so that's not it's not chop a block it's not you know the call the call bit the invocation bit the psalm and hymn bit it's not just sort of bits sort of arbitrarily lined up but there's something about the flow and the order and even the the interrelation of the parts particularly something about that with regard to preaching
3: yeah because we believe that preaching is the central most element of worship we design all of the service around the theme of the text that we have for the sermon so uh, and, and we naturally do this. I think every church, to some degree, naturally does this, whether wittingly or unwittingly. If you have, for example, a text on the birth of Christ, uh, you're naturally going to be singing songs that deal with that particular topic. And everyone does that. Uh, but that's how we should form every worship service around the topic and the text uh, for the sermon. And even the calls to worship and um the prayers should be formed as much as possible around that theme. Minimizing cognitive dissonance as much as possible. Right, so that you have a a consistent flow driving you to one primary point uh, of the whole service.
1: You devote entire chapters uh, to elements of worship that really happen very quickly in the actual service of worship, uh, and yet you've carved out a designated space. I want to think about two, the beginning and the ending, the call and the benediction what maybe you could just say what makes the call and the benediction unique and something more uh than and you contrast it to a meditation i think um and you distinguish these from a meditation in one hand or just even from the doxology um in another what's the distinction between the call and the benediction what makes them unique and how are they more than mere meditations or a mere doxology
3: yeah yeah, I think they're perhaps one of the least understood elements of worship. At least when I began to research it, I found it to be a very um, rich field of uh, understanding for me, opened up through the, the study. Uh, the call to worship is really aligned with the trumpet blast of the Old Testament in which God is declaring to his people, it's time to enter into his very presence and worship him. And so it's not just some sort of introductory phrase or um, some sort of well, let's let's start with scripture. But it is the the voice of God declaring and commanding His people to come before Him. And if that trumpet blast sounds clearly, then everyone knows now it's time to come and worship the Lord and be in His presence. So it's a it's a wonderful element. Uh, when we understand it of god's voice and responding to god's voice and then the benediction at the end is god's declaration to the people it's not a a prayer a hope it is god's putting his name upon the people so what he says in the blessing he does uh, effectively for the people and so again it's a it's a wonderful close to the end of the worship service and it's God's final statement to us. So you, you, throughout the whole worship service, the one thing that it ends with ringing in your ears as you leave is God is for you and blesses you. And, and so it's a, it's a wonderful thing when you consider it. And um, I make the point as well, that the liturgy is really a conversation between God and man. And you may have that friend who always has to have the last word if you're texting with them. and. Uh, you say okay sounds good and you just know they're going to say something back <laughs> and you can you can almost have fun with that and say okay sounds good too and then you just know well god has the final word in worship he concludes it with that glorious blessing ringing in our ears he begins he calls us he summons
1: us he sends us out with his blessing he and really god's word frames the entire uh, the entire engagement. Say something, if you would, about the dialogical principle. You speak about this at, at some length. Uh, I've seen it done poorly. I've seen it not done at all. I've seen it done really well. Um, and and I really appreciated your emphasis upon this. And even some of your um, alluding to um, Hart and Mether, I think you do a nice job as well. Say something about the importance of this dialogical principle, and not and if I could, even why practically, uh, practically it gives an orderliness that is really helpful in our worship.
3: Well, whenever you have a conversation with God, uh, it's always a responsive conversation. We as creatures are always responding to God, who is always the one who initiates i mean from the fact that he created us he initiated our existence he initiated that relationship with us and so when we have a worship service it's always god speaking and we respond to him and that's really important that we wouldn't speak then out of turn that we are always simply giving some response or answer to god in the worship service he's leading uh, the entire conversation so i I think that's really important in terms of the dialogical principle that we have a dialogue with God.
1: One last point: we're we're long into our interview at this point, but at the very end of the book, you, you have a chapter uh, pulling it all together on the sequence of elements, kind of a flow and sequence proposal. And this is, I guess, the question I want to ask: the elements are necessary because they are revealed and commanded and enjoined by by precept and example. In terms of the ordering of them, uh, is there also a revealed sequence? And I'm saying this because I think some people want order of worship can be a taxing thing uh, to think through. Has the Bible itself helped us to think through the ordering of things?
3: Oh, definitely. I, You know, I can't say that the order I have is the order and the only order. There's no wiggle room there whatsoever. I've I've nailed it down once and for all, Uh, certainly can't say that, but I do believe clearly that if God knows how he wants to be worshiped, then he'll reveal to us some order or orders in which we properly worship him. It's, you know, it's like a a dance. Uh, It has its parts. And if you want to dance it well and enjoy it, then you have to know the parts. Um, And and so it is with uh, the liturgy, it it does sound dry, it does sound boring, but I think it's a matter of opening up our our understanding as to what's happening in worship so that we can say, I know why I'm confessing sin at this point. I I know why I'm singing praise to God with joy in my heart at this point. So it's not a cold, dry order, it is an explanation of, of why we're doing what we're doing, which... Helps us to worship God in spirit and in truth to a deeper degree. I think.
2: I want to just say at the end, Ryan, uh, we are grateful for your for your labors in putting this together. There's so much confusion regarding worship, and so much of it is simply thought of in terms of preference. Uh, The questions that are being asked are questions that, as you brought out at the beginning, are not even questions the Bible remotely. Countenances, questions about comfort, questions about what we enjoy the most, and so this is just a dose of of biblical clarity, and 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 I'm grateful for it. We're grateful for it, and and we commend it to our listeners. So, Ryan, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for putting up with all these uh, challenges that we had uh, in terms of the technology, and and thank you for your continued labors. Where I can speak for myself and say, I'm honored to number you as a, as a friend, and and learned a lot reading this book, really a privilege to read it.
3: Oh, my pleasure. I'm thankful to be on, and it's my sincere desire that the book will be useful to the church and glorifying to God.
2: James, gone are the days when we recorded this in the same room. I look back on those days longingly. I had to bow out of much of this conversation, but I will say, uh, having familiarized myself with the book, that it is a book that I would... uh, commend to our listeners because of the overall approach that it takes which is really just trying to determine what the bible teaches about this important subject and also the, the 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 tone the accessibility and it's it's not a difficult book uh and and i think any of our listeners could pick it up and profit from it
1: i think that's right i especially those that are charged with leading the church in worship uh pastors and elders who have that responsibility, I think, particularly those who might be newer to the Reformed faith and the Reformed tradition, who are who are convinced that there might be a a better way, a more thoughtful, a more biblical way to order their corporate worship uh, together, I think they could not but profit uh, from this book. It has the strength of of analysis in that it breaks down the elements and examines each sort of in itself and in its biblical basis, and then really brings it back together into the whole. Uh, and I think I think this is a book that has much to teach us in helping us to rightly order our worship before God. I'm sure readers will benefit from that.
2: Well, if you are a listener who would... Uh... Uh, like to have the opportunity to win a copy of this book, you can go to placefortruth.org, click on the theology on the go link. There's a there's a space there for you to enter your information, and we have copies of this book. In fact, this book is published by the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, so it's another uh, instance of the the good work the Alliance is doing. Um, if, if you are able to contribute to the ongoing work of the Alliance, you can do that at alliancenet.org or placefortruth.org. If you find the podcast helpful, please rate and review on whatever platform you're downloading us from and and send it along to someone else who might benefit from it. And as always, thank you for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth.
0: Here I stand. I can do no other. Martin Luther's stirring words sparked the flames of Reformation more than five hundred years ago, and remain the heartbeat of the Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology. Join Kevin DeYoung, Richard Phillips, Jeffrey Thomas, and others for our fiftieth conference, February twenty fourth through the twenty sixth in East Lansing, and April twenty eighth through the thirtieth in Bryn Mawr. As the PCRT is excited to present, here we stand: the five solas of the Reformation. Conference founder Dr. J. James Montgomery Boyce considered the Reformation soul as to be the tonic for the ailing church of our time. Discover once again how God uses these great doctrines to give life to His church as you enjoy rich fellowship and stirring worship among friends. The Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology in Michigan, February 24th through the 26th and April 28th through the 30th in Pennsylvania. Find information and registration online at AllianceNet.org.